Hi, everyone, and welcome to Focus Forward, an executive function podcast where we explore the challenges and celebrate the wins you'll experience as you change your life through working on improving your executive function skills. I'm your host, Hannah Choi. Well, you probably know by now that I am an executive function coach. You may not know that I work as a coach for a company called Beyond Booksmart. I got thinking about the story behind the company and how executive function skills are built into the running of a company that specializes in executive function. I invited our CEO, Michael Delman, to join me for a conversation about just that. We wound our way through a variety of topics, and Michael shared with me the wisdom that he's gained through his life experience as a student, teacher, founder of a charter school, published author, and CEO of Beyond Booksmart. Listen to learn about how important executive function skills are to Michael, how he leads his company, and how he believes that good executive function skills are the key to a successful future for the children of today. Hi, Michael. Thank you you for joining me today. Um, Can you just first start off by introducing yourself a little bit for anyone who doesn't know who you are? I'm Michael Delman. I'm the CEO of Beyond Booksmart and um, been an educator for about 30 years now. So um, I'm in this uh, because I love it. And dad of two girls, both of whom graduated this year, one high school, one college. Um, You know, the the usual. I have a dog, of course. Um, Ultimate Frisbee aficionado. And uh, I I founded a charter school. I wrote a book. I don't know. Yeah, just there's, uh, there's got to be some great stories in there about executive function uh, challenges and and um, what led you to where you are. So per, yeah, particularly on that. choosing the dog. Absolutely. <laughs> what do you have? What oh, we have a cavapoo. Um, okay, she's All great right. little uh, great little dog. But yeah, actually, yeah. No, I'll, actually, I'll tell you this story real quick. So. My wife was a holdout on getting the dog, as so often happens. And of course, now she's the dog's biggest fan. But my daughter, younger daughter, always wanted a dog. And um, we tried everything, you know, pros and cons list. What were the, the criteria that must be met in order to have the dog? And finally, it came down to just pure psychological manipulation, where I <laughs> one day said to my wife, what if our, what if our daughter had a tragic accident and she never had had a dog. And my wife was like, okay, you win. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) So when it came down to it, the rational left brain, logical, whatever, it was just like that one image of like our daughter being like devastated and never having had a puppy that just did it. So, um, so our daughter saved up money and paid for the dog herself um, uh, even as a kid. And, uh, yeah, so there you go. I'll have to make sure that my kids and husband don't listen to this episode because I am the last holdout, um, on getting another dog. Our dog passed away three years ago and I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. And, um, so (laughs) we have to make sure that they don't listen to this episode. But you do know what it's like to have a dog. So you know that, you you know, the joy of it. And and yes, I do. Yeah. 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 So you are the CEO of an executive function skills company. So what does executive function and executive function skills mean to you? Yeah. It's a way to make a living. (laughs) (laughs) 
that's why you're in this? Yeah, it's just for the money, <laughs> Hannah. Um, actually, honestly, it's the only way that anyone can make a living is is with, I think, decent executive function skills. Yeah, you um, got that right. <laughs> so we're in there to help a lot of people, um, definitely myself included in um, kind of the skills, tools, um, orientation that, that it provides. So executive functioning skills are all about self-management, the ability to regulate yourself to kind of, you know, understand how to get calm and focused and, and organized and prioritized, and then really know how to get things done. Um, I think, I think, you know, a lot of us have ideas of what we want to do. Um, and I know many people who have a lot more um, ambition or talent than I do, but I think my strength is probably making use of whatever executive function skills I do have and then executing on, on the skills, you know, on, on the, on the vision. So that's EF skills let you, they really let you um, capitalize on, on uh, whatever strengths you do have and kind of work around your challenges. So what are your strengths? Uh, um, I've got probably two, um, uh, maybe three. Um, the first is I'm really good at prioritizing. I, I, I tend to clear away the BS and um, there will be times where my inbox is just super loaded and just way too much in it. But that's a price I'm willing to pay to make sure I have dedicated time for my priorities. Um, a, a, you know, a new idea, reviewing key data points, uh, making sure someone on the team gets the support that they need. So focusing on priorities, really, really, really um, critical. Uh, the second is I'm not afraid to work hard. So, um, you know, pretty good at getting started on things that I don't like, the task initiation piece, and then the sustained attention. So call that one or two more. And then really the, the final piece and the one that I think is probably uh, most integral to my ability to make progress is the, the reflective metacognitive mm. piece. So I make a lot of mistakes. I, I make more mistakes than the average person for sure. Um, no, 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 for real. I do. Um, foot and mouth uh, disease is, is uh, like they named that one. I literally, they have a picture of me next to that. And, um, but AKA I'm, the Michael Delman disease, Michael Delman disease, but I'm really good at getting the foot out and then going, you know, now that we've just done that, let's talk about how we can prevent that. Let's talk about yeah. what we could learn from that. So um, fortunately, people seem to be generally forgiving um, when you acknowledge your your faux pas. Um, faux yeah. pauses? I don't know what the plural faux is. Pauses. Faux pas. Faux pas. Yeah, faux pas. Anyway. Faux pas. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the numerous faux pas in, in uh, kind of my daily regimen. So um, I, I find that that there's a certain humility that I, I have and need to have that allows me to be an ongoing learner. And so mm -hmm. that's, that's like a, a real, honestly, it's a pleasure for me. Like making mistakes doesn't really phase me that much. And I think that when, when someone is so, when a leader especially is so openly um, comfortable with talking about their challenges or talking about mistakes that they've made, it, it gives, it gives, it probably gives a lot of people permission to think, oh, okay, if, if, if he, if he can make that mistake, own it, and then learn from it, then, then, then it 
probably helps people feel like, oh, okay, I can do that too. I, I think feel that's like been, that's yeah, I appreciate you saying it like that. It, I think that's become a more conscious um aspect of that kind of that tendency. Initially for me, it was just simply almost a I, I almost like a defensive mechanism for mm-hmm. me, like a, a necessity to up, like apologize all the time or, you know, and then it shifted over time from just apologizing to apologizing and trying to make improvements over time. It's been a conscious way to lead um, of, Hey, we all make mistakes. Let me tell you a story, you know, and people are like you did that. I'm like, yeah, that was, that was, I did that. Um, so it's, um, I, I don't know, if they, it, you know, that's entirely good or not, but overall I found that, um, yeah, we all need a little bit of freedom to um, learn and you can't really learn if you're constantly afraid of failing. So um, I, I think that that, I do think that that's a good thing coming from my position as the leader of the company that I'm doing it. Certainly we have the greatest uh understanding of and total lack of judgment of any of our clients, you know, in addition to our staff who we're learning, um, make mistakes along the way. And we're, we're good with that. We're okay with that. I do think that in my seat in the company, and I think for company leaders, um, there is a limit to what you can uh, allow in a, in your staff, if they're not able to, or willing to um, look at, you know, areas for improvement, because that is, we're asking that of our clients. We, we truly have to be able to model it. Um, yeah. And I do, you know, it's one of the things when we hire, um, you know, some of our core values include courage and openness and, um, you know, integrity. So if, if you're going to live those things um, and, and be a part of the staff, you know, like that, that's really important. It may not be as absolutely critical in, in, every place in the world, I know it matters for us and and what we do. Um, so, and is that, is that something that you have, um, learned? Like, did you, when you first started working out, did you feel that way? Or is that something that has kind of developed and, and grown over the years of your experience? What's feel which way? Like, like feeling those, those core values, like those, um, the, you know, the, asking that of your staff, like to be, to be, to have courage and to be open. And... Um, sorry, recovering from a, a joint bout of COVID and pneumonia, not a, <sighs> not a recommended um, no. thing for anyone. Um, uh, so I think I always felt intuitively that those were important things. They were uh, when I was a school principal and here um, I knew that naming values was important and humility was always there. Uh, growth w- was always there. I think it really took um, an extensive amount of work that our leadership team did with feedback from literally our entire staff to name the values more explicitly mm-hmm. and simply mm-hmm. um, and to be able to um, kind of elucidate what each of those meant in practice. And so I, I think once you've done that uh, and involved everybody, then holding people to that is um, part of your agreement is this is just what we all we all understand. So uh, I do think having those things explicit is is um, more important or um, 
adds a certain, you know, gives you a little more backbone to hold people to it. Um, so, yeah. you know, right. that said, we're fortunate. I mean, we've, we've really got, we've got the people, so it's not, um, there aren't huge, you know, huge, um, problems that we need to immediately address. It's just, it does remind us all of, and we, and we bring up those words in our conversation, you know, we're like, yeah, is that really integrity? Is that, is that, mm. does that really align? You know, are we, you know, are we doing the right thing by everybody in that decision, that kind of thing? So, right. Yeah. So when you first started out, like, how did you, how, how did you get to where you are now? And, and how did you learn all the things that you've learned to be where you are? I've been with Beyond Books for a while, and it's a great company to work for. And I just like, how did how did we get here? Well, um, I guess I kind of I'll speed it up as you know. I'll just start with the uh, the kind of the origins to me are probably uh, my my black lesson plan book from being a school teacher. Mm-hmm. Everything I did as a teacher, every lesson, I just always would take notes afterward on what could have been better. And I think that that, that, that reflectiveness, um, that real eye for professional growth, professional development um, was really foundational. Um, it was something where I knew I was going to, I was probably going to fail as a teacher if I didn't do that. I needed to, I needed to figure out things like classroom management and, and good lesson planning and those sorts of things. Um, and I was determined because it was a, a dream. It was a passion. And I had a rough first year and I was, I did not want to, and want to live like that. I wanted to have really great teaching experiences and great learning experiences. So um, the charter school was next. And that really emerged again, almost as a necessity because it was, um, I felt that there was more that I wanted to accomplish than could be done just under the auspices of my particular room. For example, like kids didn't see connections between the subjects. I wanted that to be seen. Mm-hmm. Kids were kind of going through the motions a lot, just because whatever, they're just in school because they have to be. Um, I want school to be a place where they could see like, oh, this is exciting. I'm learning. I'm doing something of value. So that was the charter school. That was um, super exciting, partnered with an Outward Bound kind of affiliated yeah. group. And it was just really great. And then that was, Wait, can I stop you for one second? Oh, so yeah. you went from teaching what for one year to no, opening no, a charter no, 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 school? no, eight years. I taught for eight oh, years. Yeah. Oh. So though, but those eight, you know, during those eight years, it was um, there were constant lessons and 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 so much to learn. I mean, you could learn, you could teach and learn for forever. You know, decades and decades. Um, my yeah. friends who who still teach and always learning. Um, but for me, there came a point where I thought I need to have a school where everybody is kind of sharing the same, the same values, the same um, enthusiasm, the same perspective on what a school mm-hmm. is capable of. And, um, and so that school, which is still around and doing great, it's, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I, I love that place and, and, and what it's all about. It's, uh, you know, really extraordinary opportunity um, I had there. But then two kids, you know, into it and uh, four years in as principal and working all sorts of hours and days of the week that are not days and hours that you should be working. Mm. Um, I needed something 
a little more sane. And, um, and then I also was a little bit distant from, you know, like the actual work. And so I want right. to be back on the ground more. Yeah. So I started beyond book smart, different name at the time, thinking outside the classroom and, you know, and I started that, um, because we'd had kind of a, uh, you know how schools have typically like a, a bell curve of students, right? You know, in terms okay. of, you know, these are your average kids. These are, you know, mm, I see. Well, we had more of a barbell, um, oh. you know, like it was like, you know, we had kids that were uh, all sorts of kids were twice exceptional as we call them now, you know, smart, but scattered. And it just seemed that we drew kids that were in a lot of ways like me um, that, that uh, were they really wanted to learn, but they had something in their way. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. And I've always had those challenges, those, those executive function challenges myself. And so it was a real pleasure to kind of like figure that out and to build a school that would um, create like really, really rich opportunities for deep research yeah. and work, but yeah. also provide all that support, the necessary support to enable that, right. um, that level of ambition to be, you know, to kind of be, um, uh, potentiated. So um, that was over a period of, of you know, several years. And then, so Beyond Booksmart um, emerged as a chance to really do something special um, for students without all the restrictions of you know, those nightmarish bureaucratic reports you have to right. do and many, many stakeholders. Instead, it was really focused on what does this person actually need? And it really, I, I didn't ever anticipate in the early days that it would be as big or as popular. It was just something that I felt I had to do. And um, the demand kept coming. Uh, you know, we expanded from middle school and high school to elementary and then college and then adult and, um, you know, new division now on its way um, that we're built, you know, that's, um, you know, been done for a bit now on on schools um, and, and, and corporations, but, um, it's just there are a lot of opportunities that that keep seeming to evolve because it feels like these are the skills people most need right now. It you know uh, I've been picking my kids up on the playground after school for the last six years, and um, when I um, when people asked me you know what do you do for work, mm. uh, and I tell them <clears throat> they in the beginning, they never knew what I was talking about, mm. and now when it comes up, people so many more people know what executive function skills are. And it's been really interesting to see, to measure the awareness um, through whether people know what I do for my job or not. So yeah, I think it is starting to make waves and, you know, um, like the uh, Chan Zuckerberg initiative, you know, um, which, you know, Zuckerberg of Facebook, whatever, um, take away all the things to talk about on that, just focusing on, on this, they chose three areas to focus on reading, um, mathematics and executive function skills. Mm -hmm. So that was a real acknowledgement from a group that, you know, a large, large business, one of the world's biggest saying, this is really, really kind of, these are the critical 21st century skills. If we're going to even make it to the 22nd century, uh, as an intact civilization with, you know, we're, like, we are wrestling with problems that require um, a level of insight and discipline 
and focus and um, uh, maturity that metacognition, the metacognition, the emotional regulation, the impulse control that we, we really are, 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 you know, we're seeing a lot of breakdown in the world and um, uh, in our own country. And it's, it's hard because the breakdown leads to breakdown. You know, you see other people losing it and badly behaved and all over the place. You just, just watch the news. These are the skills that I think can save us. I mean, I think they're the skills that truly, I mean, on a personal level, they lead to uh, much better personal success. And that's excellent. That's good for us. You know, any of us individually that are doing well, that's great. But they also are really, uh, I think, fundamental skills to the fabric of our um, of our society. People who can look at more than one side of a, of a you know, of an argument. And, 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 and be calm with that, you know, and, and people who can say, you know, I'm not going to um, uh, make up facts. I'm going to go with reality. Um, I'm going to be paced. I'm going to um, do what's realistic. I'm going to compromise so that for the greater good. Um, I mean, these are things that, you know, we hope for and often don't see in our official elected leaders, for example, but we can do it on local levels. We can do it with each other. We can do it on a community basis, and um, you know, take the politics out of it and just have have humans kind of think thoughtfully together. Uh, and and so I think these executive function skills are the root of the uh, fam- familial success, or the root of community success, and obviously they're the root of individual success. So, you know, if we contribute to that, then that's really like that's amazing. That, that's a, that's, that inspires me. Right. Yep. Uh, something that I've said before, um, in, in, uh, on the podcast and, and it's something that I know a lot of us, probably every coach feels is that when we, after a client graduates and they go out into the world, we hope that they can teach, teach their friends or teach their siblings or their parents or somebody Uh, something that they've learned and maybe they just teach it through modeling. Mm -hmm. Um, But just, I love thinking about them being out in the world and, and um, sharing all that. Yeah. Hannah, I even love the stories of um, kids teaching their own parents, you know, like the kid learned something in one of our sessions, like the five finger breathing and, you know, some sort of way to self-regulate or the hand model of the brain or, you know, what neuroplasticity is any of that. And then the parents are like, you know, this is really useful for me. Do you think, could I get the coaching too? And, you know, or, or whether or not they, they need it, they, they see, oh my gosh, this, you know, it's pretty transformative. So yeah. Um, yeah. Yep. So those that, are good stories. That comes up a lot where, um, and when I was talking with Peg Dawson about how parent um, adults, um, they, uh, feel like there's this pressure that they're, that they should just already have that all figured out. Ah. And, and, um, and of course we don't, um, or a real realization like, Oh, that's why, like, that's why I can't X, Y, or Z. Mm. And that it's okay. It doesn't mean you're a bad person or, you know, anything is wrong with you. Um, but, and then there's strategies and tools and, Things well, that you can learn that can yeah. make it easier. And you were kind enough to ask me what my strengths were early. So apparently, you know, <laughs> at least anyone listening might at least temporarily believe I've got strengths. But, <laughs> but you know, when it comes to the areas of challenge and, you know, what's kind of driven me to, to work on this stuff, uh, emotional regulation, that's always been 
profoundly difficult for me. Mm-hmm. You know, I struggle with that both because of ADHD and uh, mental illness struggles that I had growing up. And um, these were not things that I necessarily wanted to learn. They were things yeah. that I, I had to. So the self-reg piece, learning to manage strong feelings, really, really just for me, absolutely critical. Organization, luckily the camera's view is limited. It's not my forte. I work around it. I, I, it it's better than it used to be. It's good enough. I, I, <laughs> I do what I must, but you know, tend to lean on my strengths and then the weaknesses I've tend to develop compensatory strategies to work around. Um, but I, I think for all of us, you know, we definitely need, um, we need to acknowledge that those, those areas of challenge, that's okay. I mean, we'll have yeah. them, you know, we're, yeah. we're don't have to be perfect. And I think, I think some of the reflection piece that you were talking about, it really comes into play there. And, <coughs> and if you are able to stop and reflect and, and think about like, who am I and where am I and what do I want and where am I going? And, and am I happy with, with this? And, and it's really difficult to do that. And it's also, it also ends up being difficult because you often don't know the answer. Mm. Like you don't know. I, I will like, tell you, I'll tell you a funny story. Never shared this on a podcast before. Um, or any interview, but um, when I was, I think, six or seven years old is one of my earliest memories. Came home, I'd been picked on at school for uh, just being me being me or kids being mean or whatever it was. And um, and I, my mom sat me down on the stairs. I remember we were like three or four stairs from the bottom. Um, and And I told her, she very empathetically said, well, what do you think you could do differently? And it's very interesting because on the one hand, it's a little bit, you know, I'm six or seven, I have no idea. You know, secondly, it's, it's also, it's like, well, what about the, oh, poor thing, you know, that must have yeah. been, that must have been so hard. Let's go beat, right. let's go beat those kids up. You know, like that, that's yeah. kind of what I was I was All looking right. for. Hey mom, yeah. you know, maybe you and dad, you know, come over. We yeah. can just like beat the crap out of those kids. Yeah. Um but but um it, it it is one of my earliest memories, which is trying to figure out, oh, what could I do to improve the situation? Now, I think one of the key things, one of the reasons it was successful <clears throat> was as I said, it was said with some degree of empathy. There was mm. a, a, it was probably more the tone than the words, just like, yep. oh, you know, like, like it could have just been that much, just a little, oh, sweetie, you know, well, what do you think, you know, maybe we or you, you know, could do that would, you know, or might, might do differently. Yeah. I think that that was kind of um, taught to me at an early age is you, you know, what do you control? What's within your yeah. power? So I, yep. I, I, although, you know, we talk at Beyond Book Smart a lot about knock before entering. We talk about kind of R before T, right? You know, reach mm-hmm. before teach and, um, you know, relationship before task. But the relationship was there and, yeah, and right. the reach was there. So I think that that made it a little easier, you know, that she could teach me because she'd already reached me. Um, and, and I do think that that's... Um, I think that is what we want to develop in our, in our kids is 
what is within your sphere of, of control, your sphere of influence, and, you know, and not just your sphere of worry, right? You know, those, those well-known spheres of, uh, otherwise it's just, well, that person's a jerk. That I, I'll tell you a funny story. I was in college and um, found myself in therapy. I was like, oh my God, you know, there's so much on my mind. And, and I complained about um, someone who is just a complete beep, you know, I can't say the word. And, and the therapist said, Michael, I'll tell you something. There's never a shortage of beeps. And I was like, oh, yep. you know what? Like, honestly, of anything said to me, like in that entire therapeutic experience, that was the one that resonated was, oh, yeah, that's true. Oh. There's never a shortage of that. Well, so yeah. what do I do? So what are you going to do? What am I going to yeah. do? What are you going to do differently? Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 <laughs> I know that's, you know, I, I see that a lot with my kids, you know, if they're struggling with a teacher that they don't like or, right. you know, a, whatever, it's such a, it's a hard lesson to learn, but it's so important because you're right. There's never a shortage of beeps in the world. There's never a shortage so, of beeps in the world. Yeah. I yeah. had a, I had this student, I was coaching her years ago and she was a senior, um, great kid. And, you know, I said, what's one of the things that you learned this term? And she said, well, what I learned is that at the end of the term, I am done with that teacher that I could not stand, but I'm never done with the grade that she gave me. And I was like, wow, you know what? Good for you. You, yeah. you kind of figured it out. It doesn't really matter that you didn't love that teacher. It's, yeah. I mean, granted, it would have been a lot easier for her if it had been a teacher that understood her and empathized and connected and, you know, right. figured out the ways to make learning accessible for her, all that stuff. But really best that she could do, given that, given the situation was what could she yeah. do? So, yeah. 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 So I'm just curious about more to learn more about what it's like to be the leader of a company that, that, um, teaches people how to develop their executive function skills. Does that impact you as a leader? And does it impact how you create your teams and how you structure the company, even like down to meetings? Like, because I imagine you build executive function thought into all of that way more than other companies might. We, we tend to hire people who have really good executive function skills. Uh, it, it just makes it easier because they'll do their jobs better than people that, um, you know, on average, you know, don't. Um, some of it is, is, you know, so some of it is really, it's the people and it's the structures. Um, we definitely structure things. Um, I guess, Hannah, you know, I'd probably look at, at a couple of aspects. Um, the first is, we are definitely a learning organization. We're always, always inviting in like, a, you know, new consultants with new perspectives uh, to challenge us because what you think you know and what was really effective, say, last year or for the past two or three years, now it needs some, some rethinking. We tend to be pretty structured um, and I'd say increasingly so. Um, we've got really good dashboards to measure what are called KPIs or key performance indicators to look at things like, you know, customer retention and uh, customer satisfaction um, and really like predictive scores about customer health. And um, are we doing the things that they want and, and addressing their needs proactively? Um, 
those kinds of things on the one hand. So really like the right structures for, uh, are we onboarding people in a way that they understand what this journey is? You know, that it's not a quick fix, that it, it really, yeah. it, there there's real work and it's going to take time. Um, those kinds of things. And then just the way we work with each other, um, the agendas, I, you know, every person I meet with, we have a color-coded agenda, you know, with action items are highlighted with, you know, with due dates, et cetera. But then there has to be a place to keep track of all those dates. Otherwise, you have to scroll through too many places. So like with um, the school division, we have a, a pretty tight Gantt chart, you know, which are these long, measurable, you know, a lot of, lot of rows um, for every kind of key item, key action, and then initials of who's assigned it. Um, in the core division, we use these quarterly goals trackers and we color code um, how far along we are on each thing, um, each, each major goal for the quarter for each department. Um, I think it's also, there's just the way that we communicate with each other. There's a lot of checking, um, preventing um, assumption making. So, mm. you know, being sure that, did that make sense? Or, um, so there are a lot of pings directly from a document, um, clarifying questions. Uh, we use certain protocols where, you know, people present something and then there are clarifying questions, probing questions, um, and then uh, reflection from the person who did, did the presentation. So kind of these, these tuning protocols or uh, there are shared Miro boards where we brainstorm and many people are working together and then we're kind of um, quantifying what we have there for like that's how we did the core values as an example to see which core values were consistently represented um and which ones were kind of anomalies that weren't really core um so there are i mean there are so many tools you know out there the ones i've mentioned and obviously in you know an infinity uh, more of them but it's um it's really a commitment to always figuring out how can we communicate effectively with each other and, and honestly like with ourselves like intern like <laughs> like you know because you can have all these great ambitions and you can say you're going to do all these things and you can make a you know lengthy to-do list and just not get to it um and again that does come back to um really again back to prioritizing what is it that is important enough that that's your focus that's where you're dedicating mm -hmm. time and then these things are, those are nice to do if you, if you get to them, but it's not as critical. So uh, yeah, I'd say that executive function skills are a hundred percent infused into almost everything we do. And that makes me think about how, um, how we were talking earlier about how if, if everyone had access to this kind of knowledge, and even if you just think about leaders of companies, so leaders of companies, they they know their business, but they might not know executive function skills. Like your business is executive function skills. So right. you know that. And mm -hmm. so it's e probably easier for you to build that into a company structure. So if people or like kids who, you know, don't like maybe they go to a school where where executive sk function skills aren't explicitly taught um, or if they, you know, I don't know, there's so many different er Area. So I just think I always wish that everyone could have access to it. And I know I'm sure that's been a struggle for you, you know, wanting to provide access to everybody, but then being limited. While we have definitely gotten a lot of interest on the corporate side, 
and it's something that we will develop ultimately in a, in a meaningful way. We really only do that on an, uh, you know, on-demand basis. We don't solicit it, but there is a sequence to things. And the thing that is really my passion and focus right now is our school division. Um, that is my, yeah, I mean, it's just, I know our whole staff is behind this. Many of us come from a school background. We know that teachers are, they've overwhelming jobs. Anyone who was not taught really doesn't have a clue how hard teaching is. And it's, um, it, 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 you need support um, to understand how you manage grading papers and managing 25 disparate personalities in a room at a time. Um, you know, and it's just, it's, it's a really challenging job. The other thing about the schools is it democratizes access because schools can pay for really a relatively low, low um, price, an amount of money that will then elevate the game of all their teachers, help all their students, um, you know, and again, democratizing access is a huge, huge principle. It's why I started the charter school was I wanted to provide a, um, a private school quality education for those who couldn't mm -hmm. afford it. Um, mm -hmm. And even though there's pushback among some in the public school community, the districts like, you know, oh, well, you know, that's, we don't support charter schools. I've done it. And it made a huge difference. And I, I have no regrets. Um, and I taught in the re regular district public schools before that. And I, I know we made a difference and we improved all the schools around us. So, you know, um, the, the chance to do this for, all, like, if we could have every school in, in the United States of America and, and or, you know, well beyond it too, learn about executive function skills, understand how they're developed, how to help their kids develop them, how to work around the challenges. I mean, you know, that's a legacy. That's the, that would be a, a, yeah, a life complete. Yeah. I'm just going to pause here to give you some information on where to find out more about Brain Tracks, the school support division of Beyond Booksmart that Michael's talking about here. He believes it is so important to lay down tracks or neural pathways for executive function in the brain when our kids are young and to give teachers additional tools to support this brain development. And Braintracks is designed to do just that. And to learn more, you can go to the website, braintracks.com, or send an email to info at braintracks.com. Okay, back to the conversation. Do you think that, or how do you think the pandemic has impacted people's experience with their own executive function skills and just maybe awareness of them? It's, well, definitely the pandemic's been a challenge on all of our executive function skills. And I think it, it begins with that um, kind of that emotional challenge, right? You know, we talk a lot about like if the two parts of the brain, there are many parts, but you know, the, the emotional amygdala and, and that whole limbic system and all that, you know, here, and then the prefrontal cortex is where executive function skills reside right here. Um, when you are worried about whether your job will be there, whether you can get toilet paper, whether you will live or die because there's no vaccine. Um, those are, I mean, people are flipping the lid all the time. And um, so it was a time really where we had to regulate ourselves. Um, yeah. First, we had to get that government um, money um, to make sure our company was stable. Um, 
we had to shift everything we did go 100% online. We're about 50, 60% online, but this 100% immediately. And then we had to build things that were really relevant for everybody now working from home, learning from home. Um, you know, so all those adjustments were necessary for us to stay relevant um, because people's problems were suddenly much bigger. Everyone was struggling with mental health issues of anxiety, uh, depression, you know, things like that. Those have remained a challenge, less so now that people are vaccinated and able to go out and about much more, much more normally. Um, I think we've had a permanent shift though in the landscape. Um, in some ways for the better, I think a lot of us have found the, the benefits of working from home, of getting support from home. We see that it's, it's convenient. Um, it can be uh, actually super connected. We can really like talk to each other. It's, it's in some ways less intrusive. Um, so there's a lot of upside, but I do think that the, the, you know, the EF challenges when you are dealing with so much uncertainty is, is hard. And, um, you know, we're, we're, we're dealing with a recession and a bear market and all those kinds of things too. People worry, but, um, kind of like, like they say, if you don't desperately need your money and it's in the stock market during a bad time, wait, because it'll go back up again. Um, it's, it's also, if you can, during a difficult time, continue to do your habits, you know, meditate in the morning, work out at some point during the day, you know, um, do your journaling or, you know, get the coaching and, and the support. Um, you know, all the things that just kind of like keep you steady. Mm -hmm. Do that because those habits are even more necessary during these times. And then they just, gosh, when, as things get easier, you're just well-equipped for, totally capitalizing on all the opportunities that are there as, as things do, you know, become more um, normalized and, and, and easier again. And how do you, what do you think about the, the increase in mental health challenges that we're seeing and especially in college kids and mm -hmm. teens um, and the connection with executive function skills there? And what are your feelings <laughs> about all that? It's, um, it's devastating. Uh, I, I, you know, so having a daughter who just graduated college, another one who just graduated high school, um, they are, my two girls are really, they're level-headed and they know how to get started and they just, you know, they get their work done. Um, that said, it's been anywhere, even for them, from boring to frustrating to, outright depressing at times just to deal with things. Um, <clears throat> if you have genuine tendencies toward mental health challenges, anxiety and depression, things like that, um, these, these are really, really challenging times. I do think that um, there are a lot of teachers and, and even whole institutions that are responsive and you need that. You need the institution itself to, to respond um, make adjustments. Um, I think there's a, a, there's a saying that's there for a reason when all else fails, lower your standards. That is not a horrible admission of defeat. It means if you interpret it a little bit differently than maybe just a negative one, it means be real with what's going on around you. Look at the context. You know, maybe 
<coughs> maybe you thought you were going to be able to do all these courses, maybe do one less course during this time. Um, maybe, you know, what it means is instead of, uh, you know, doing every single page of the reading, you learn how to read more for just getting the main ideas um, when you're feeling too stressed. Um, you know, maybe it means getting support, either therapeutic support, you know, some sort of professional therapist or coaching support to learn how to be more efficient and, and you know, learn how to be more effective with your executive function skills. But I, I think the, um, the foolish thing would be to act as if everything is exactly the same, mm -hmm. you know, keep calm and carry on as, as it only gets you so far. I mean, keep calm and carry on is it's, it's a nice little thing to say, but the question is how, like, how do you keep yeah, calm? How, you know, right. how do you carry on? Which things do you decide to let go of? Um, <coughs> my older daughter, she was just doing everything at school. Like, I mean, so many things and they were all pretty cool. And then she said one day, I think I'm going to drop this executive committee I'm on for this thing. And she's like, it's really kind of tangential in my life. It's not that it doesn't bring any joy. It's not something that really adds a lot of value to the world. It's not that relevant to my resume. And, um, and it's that kind of one more straw, you know, and I was like, she's like, you know, do you have any, anything to say about it? Which I was amazed she, you know, asked yeah, for my great. opinion. <laughs> and I, I was like, you know, yeah, I have to say, I'm really proud of you. Like, good for you for deciding what matters and what doesn't matter. And again, good prioritizing. I think that that, you know, again, it's, you don't have to lower your standards on everything. What you have to do is make choices. Um, and I think that's hard. It's hard when you're anxious because then you're worried, what if I'm making the wrong choice? You know what? If it's a choice that's going to lower your anxiety, it's probably a good choice. What if, you know, you know, or you feel depressed, oh, you know, I'm, I'm so stupid. Mm -hmm. I, I should be able to do better. Should's got nothing to do with it. Yeah, you know, get those shoulds out of there. Yeah. 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 Don't, don't <laughs> should on yourself. Right. So it's, it really is where, where are you do the best you can right now. And um, when you're ready, you know, you do more, but just, Try to keep up decent health, health giving habits and um, and focus on the things where you're going to get the best return on investment. I mean, that that's what it's all about. And I think what young people don't always understand that we get as adults a lot better <coughs> is that that's what you have to do as an adult. Yeah. And, and what the problem is when you're in high school, sometimes you get the message from teachers. Everything I say is important doesn't matter if it's on the exam. Actually, it does. It does matter if it's on the exam. If it's not, you might not spend as much time reviewing it, studying it. You really do need to get good at, at really at discerning what matters and what doesn't matter. It's really what it's all about. Oh, that just reminds me so much of a um, in a conversation that I had with a, a, a freshman in college client. We talked about diminishing returns and yes. how, you know, as you're working, you got to pay attention. Like, are you enjoying what you're doing? Are you being efficient or effective anymore? And she said it had never... Um, 
really occurred to her to pay attention to that. And, and we were thinking it's because when you're in high school and all through school and your parents are telling you, your parents are telling mm. you what you have to do. Your teachers are telling you what you have to do. Um, you know, that like the teacher who says it's all important, even if it's not on the test. And that's a skill that you have to learn um, as you become more independent. And I guess it's part of becoming more independent is recognizing, okay, this being on this committee is actually no longer important to me. Well said. And yeah. yeah. And she probably, your daughter probably felt like, yeah, like you said, like she should do it. Yeah. So my client felt like she, <laughs> she should study for 45 minutes because that's what the timer she set for this, you know, this topic. But then she noticed after 25 minutes that she was reading the same paragraph over and over again. Mm. And it's like, yeah, why waste another 20 minutes? Switch to something else. Right. Right. So no, that's, and that's a hard thing to learn. I, I did, you know, it's funny. I have this list of essential concepts for life. Mm. They are, they're ones that apply off, you know, kind of first and foremost from a field of origin, like economics or, or say, you know, political science or psychology or math or whatever, you know, things, <clears throat> things like diminishing returns, as you were just mentioning, or I mentioned return on investment, mm -hmm. you know, or opportunity cost, you know, yeah, I could do this. But what, what else, what am I giving up? What's the most valuable thing I could be doing during this time? And sometimes the most valuable thing is actually resting, letting the brain reset. Sometimes it's exercising. Sometimes it's reconnecting with an old friend, you know, they're all, you know, or doing a creative, creative outlet. Um, there are many, many different things that are, that are worth your time. It's not head down or, you know, I mean, head down, you're going to run into something ultimately. Right. Yeah. So, um, Quote me on that one. Um, but, but <laughs> I like it. Head down, you're going to run into something sometime. Like, <laughs> look up every once in a while. People. Look up, pal. Um, so, <laughs> but um, I, I think it's really important to look up and to and to figure out is this is this the best thing to be doing now? I'll tell you actually a, a sad but worthwhile example. Um, I was told about a town government where they had 90 different projects that they're working on. 90 projects. I think the town budget, something like $200 million or something. It's, it's not a small number. Um, and there was a new project brought forward, really good idea. And they said, well, we have to get the other 90 done first before oh. we can add something. Mm. That's not the way you want to think. And, yeah. you know, and I'm not trying to pick on government. I mean, certainly if I were, I would not pick on town government at, at the beginning. <clears throat> That's a local government. And they're still like, well, we've got this, you know, head down, head down oh my gosh, you've just been given something that's going to get way more return on investment, you know, and yet you're going to give up on, you're not even going to look at that because you've got all these other things that you say you're committed yeah. to. Um, yeah, yeah. I, you know, so again, those executive function skills, whether it's individual level, family level, schools, businesses, government, I mean, it doesn't matter. You know, like these are the skills that they're just going to increase everybody's productivity. Um, it doesn't resolve. The one thing EF skills don't do is resolve differences in values, right? Mm -hmm. Like <clears throat> they can help clarify differences in values, but you know, sometimes there truly are competing values. One person believes this, another believes that. Ah, that's okay. Then you can together figure out, all right, well, given our differences in values, how do we come up with a uh, quick example? Guns. It's actually a really good example. 
there's probably nobody out there. It's like, it would be great if more people died from gun violence, right? There's like, nobody thinks that anyone really believes that. And, you know, probably most people are like, well, you know, some guns for some purposes, target practice, maybe some people are like, yeah, for hunting, you know, whatever. It's like, it, and then you got all the stuff in the middle. The problem is things get really polarized. So you've got people that are pretty much pretty different ends of the, of the, of the perspective. But if you get away from some of the language of like gun control and some of the language that's coming out now a little better, like gun safety, mm-hmm. that seems like a language that, okay, how do we make for better gun safety in a way that doesn't restrict the rights of people for the most part that want their guns and, and manage them responsibly. And yet doesn't allow them in the hands of people that are going to be a true threat to themselves and others. And, you know, those kinds of things, there's virtually no topic that I can't, that I've never, that I've been able, I used to be a public policy major in college, where I found that there are places, it's just that people go to their little corners, and then they fight, and then they dig in emotionally, and, and you know, head down, and, and you know, and butt heads, no, you know, so eh, maybe one side wins for a while, then another side wins for a while, but it doesn't yeah. really, you know, come up with sustainable solutions. So, and, you know, we need those. Um, Peg Dawson was talking about how she has divided the executive function skills into two groups, like foundational skills and advanced skills. And, you know, some of the last to learn that we learn are like flexible thinking and, and, um, and metacognition yeah. and, you know, perspective taking. And those are all the skills that are, that are required for exactly that, you know, even the change in vernacular, right? Someone was using flexible thinking to, to get there, you know, mm. and to, yep. to change yes. how we, yep. just a simple one word switch can change people's make orientation people more to, it. to yep. it. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And not to be naive, there are truly forces of money and evil, you know, in, in any space, but, um, yeah. but, yeah. but when you're talking about people that are truly of just goodwill and trying to figure out things, then, yeah. you know, yeah. yeah. I mean that, that, that open-mindedness and yeah. Uh, ability to think flexibly. That's where the solutions that probably will help us all to, you know, be a better species. will uh, We'll, we'll get there. So, yeah. Yeah. So hopefully we can improve everyone in the world, their executive function skills. Yeah. <laughs> communication you know, skills. Starts, well, Hannah, just, I'll say it starts with working on ourselves. It's, uh, yep. you know, um, anyone who knows me, I mean, they have stories. They have like, like, how did you lose so many things in one weekend, Michael? Like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, you know, that was, a, it was amazing. Kind of set a record there. Um, I mean, there are- I think so, I want to hear that story. <laughs> skiing, ski weekend with my friends. Let's just say that um, we weren't entirely disciplined the whole time. We were just, it was just, it was a party weekend with the boys. It was fun. Where are my gloves? Where's my water bottle? Anybody see my water bottle? You know, like, you know, whatever. It was, there was always something missing. And, um, <laughs> you know, four guys with ADHD, you know, off for a ski weekend is <laughs> a lot of fun. Um, sounds great but yeah I mean those <laughs> kinds of things and and it's all but all, it's it's not a matter of, you know whatever being perfect it's just it's just a matter of like always um I don't know keeping some humility and working on yourself and 
and yeah. and and then maybe have something to teach other people as well given given that this is what you obsess about constantly and document right. and systematize and train people in and say, <laughs> yeah oh yeah you know you don't have to pretend that you're the person with all the perfect skills and this all came so easily in fact one of the reasons i feel i i can be helpful is because of the some of the personal challenges and you know when when i was in college and i um I tried to drop out of a class because I could not keep up with the reading. It was just too much. And I was a freshman and I thought, you know, like, I don't know, probably better to drop one course than to fail everything, trying to survive this one Latin American studies course. And um, in a way that was good thinking, but my professor insisted on meeting with me and he said, Michael, why can't, you know, why are you dropping? And I said, the books are too long. And he said, how do you read them? I said, I read page one and then I go to page two. Isn't that what you do? He said, no, you got to learn how to use like SQ3R, survey, question, read, recite, review, or whatever the name was at that time. And really how to read more like a detective and yeah. search for clues. And yeah. what I learned from that was I had been reading so inefficiently my whole life and still was it like you know ivy league institution in spite of that with that tool and that approach and guilt-free because it was taught by a professor there you go <laughs> i became a really efficient reader so you know i'm never going to be the person that can read one page the next the next as quickly as other people it's not you know i don't have that scanning and that that ability, those, some of those physical abilities there, but I understand the technique and it's made me just much more efficient. So, you know, I, 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 I love probably almost more than anything, Hannah is when someone says, oh my gosh, that would be so much better. That would be so much easier, you know? And I know yeah, you get that yeah, as a coach. You just, yeah, yeah. you know, it's like, oh yeah. And then they try it and they, you know and they come up with their own solutions after a while. They don't even, you know yeah. they just need to kind of run something by us and then it becomes yeah, theirs, you yeah. know, or they, yeah, it's just great. I feel like this this theme of, um, we talked about it in the very beginning and, and I know it comes up a lot in sessions and is the idea of, almost like being given permission, mm. um, even though the permission was there all along, we just didn't know, um, to do things differently and to do things mm. in a way that works for you. Like you had to hear that professor tell you that, and it changed everything for you. Mm -hmm. Um, and you, you, grew up thinking, okay, this is, this is how you read. You read page one and then, cause they always say, just read one to 30. And you're like, oh, okay. I guess I just read pages one to 30 now. Mm. You know, no one ever like tells you it's okay to do it differently. And it, and they just getting permission to do, to make things your own. Yeah. yeah. And then once you have that, okay. Like my client who realized she doesn't have to follow the timer, she can follow mm. her diminishing returns instead. And and how many opportunities it opens up once you <clears throat> allow yeah, yourself right. to think that way. Right. Because once you've, um, <clears throat> once you've stopped writing between the lines enough times and you've, you've seen that the approach, the one and only approach is not the one and only approach and that there are many yeah. others that other people have shown you trusted resources have shown you. And then you start to come up with your own, you know, boom, you know, sky's the limit. Then you start to yeah. see, Oh, wow. Uh, you know, it's, it, remember I said earlier about um, who you are, 
is something that doesn't have to be so perfectly defined. It can evolve. You know, yeah. this is kind of that, that micro example of it, how you do it doesn't have to be, Oh, it's, this is how you do it. Well, yeah. that, you know, it, like they say, you gotta, you gotta learn the rules before you can break the rules. You kind of need, you need an identity before you can kind of like break free of the need to constantly have an identity. Yeah. But yeah, you but need something to work from. You do need something to work from. To work from. Yeah. Um, but as you are, you know, as you already have developed certain, certain basic fundamental skills, a certain fundamental sense of who you are, then you have some freedom to kind of move from there to bigger and in um, uh, a freer way of approaching, you know, the way you do things and, and indeed even who you are. So, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what are you, I mean, other than the new division, Brain Tracks, love it. Um, mm. What are you excited about? <sighs> um, I, I, I think, I think just on a personal level, um, <laughs> excited to be done with being sick and get back oh, out yeah. playing Ultimate Frisbee again, which is my passion. Um, I'm excited to see the amazing things that my kids are doing as one goes off to college, one graduates from college, um, and we're empty nesters and, you know, more possibilities there. Um, that'll be interesting. Um, I think on the professional level, it's the school division is truly, truly like should be enough to keep me fully engaged for a, you know, a long time, but there's so much talent in that division that they don't need me all the time. The core division is really full swing, really, you know, kind of self-running, no, you know, just great leadership um, in, in those, you know, those places. I, I actually, in talking to you today, I saw something that I hadn't seen before and it never so clearly, which is um, more the, the not-for-profit, the governmental side, the helping bring people together in a more um, civic-oriented way. It's always been a passion. It, it really is deeply connected to what I, I majored in in college. Um, and it's work that I do on the side with my kind of, uh, I, I'm passionate about environmental issues, um, addressing climate change, because, you know, it's important that we have a planet that's sustainable if we're going to do anything else. So, um, so I, I think, I think there's a, a, another, another place for me, another place for me to be able to build with um, executive function skills for uh, not-for-profits that are making the biggest difference in the world. Um, so that, that feels like something that maybe you help me, uh, <laughs> You know, I, I've thought about it before, but as we've talked, I've realized, wow, I'm talking about it a lot. And I really, it really keeps resonating. So the schools were a big step on the way there, yeah. but there are so many good organizations that could yeah. use that, that kind of help yeah. in yeah. their processes. So, yeah. So thanks. And, can, and can, yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> and um, I would love for you to share a little bit about uh, the work that you are doing for climate change. And I know you have you started a, an organization. Yeah, to have so, a website. Well, yeah. So it's called an hour a week. Um, I think it's an hour a week dot org. 
Um, I'm going to make sure to get that right because heck, okay. if anyone wants to check it out. Yeah, it's an hourweek.org. Um, and the the essence, uh, uh, you know, the essential idea behind it is I wanted to lower the price point of activism, lower the price point of making a difference. There are so many people that are like, oh my God, you know, the world is on fire. There's terrible problems. True. You know, you feel worse about it though, if you think about it and you talk about it and you worry about it and you complain about it, but you don't do anything about it. But if you're putting in as little as one hour a week or even possibly less, you know, at least then you can say, hey, it's true. It's a big old shit show out there and the world is really, you know, there are a lot of problems, but I'm doing a little. A, you don't carry around that guilt that you just, you don't need to. B, you actually start to connect to other people. We have a, a once a month meeting. It's literally one hour a month, not a week, one hour a month of actually meeting in a group. And um, so that's amazing. And, and so you're connecting to people and it gives you a sense of hope and inspiration that, okay, there's a lot of us and it's multiplying. And then third, there are very specific, simple actions to do between you know meetings. So each week there's a couple of actions. Maybe it takes you five minutes or 10 minutes. If you want to put in a full hour, go for it. You know, you want to put in more, that's fine too. But that I just felt like um, my experience with the some of the environmental groups I've been involved in um, are is have has been, well, you got to be really committed and you got to mm-hmm. know everything. And it's mm-hmm. like, no, most people don't know that much. And they're it's feeling, intimidating. It's intimidating. And, and you don't have a ton of time and you're trying to raise a couple of kids or, or whatever it is. And you got a full-time job or two jobs and, and you don't want to make it elitist or just for people that have retired. Um, you want people that they just care and they see, oh, there's connections between climate and social justice and, you know, and poverty and, and people who are dispossessed and, you know, and uh, uh, the air that we're breathing, that's, you know, all this stuff. Um, I want it to be a place where you don't have to be an expert or have a huge amount of time. So, um, so that's what I'm, that's what I'm doing. It's, uh, I love it. uh, yeah, it feels, feels really good to put some time into that and, um, you know, use some of the executive function skills there to organize and have people name their commitments, things like that. So cool. Yeah. Thanks for asking on that one. I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so if there's one thing that you could choose for people to take away from the work that you've done from your life, from your experiences, what would you share? If it's possible to narrow it down to one. Uh, try not to die. Um, like, you know, really the the longer you get to live more, more, uh, more fun and more of a difference you can make, um, uh, other than stay alive. Um, you know, I'd say, I'd say it's see your life as a journey. It's, um, you know, it's, it's old, it's old wisdom, but there's a reason it it's that wisdom's there. Um, the station by uh, to Hastings, um, this story about being on, you know, you're on a train and you can't wait to get to the station where there's going to be some big party and, and you're like, 
cursing the trip because it's taking so long. And you know what that, the station at the end, that's the end. Like the station is actually the end. So don't be in a rush, like, you know, enjoy the scenery. Um, you know, connect to the people on the train, you know, and, and stop and enjoy. And um, uh, I, I, I realize that that's not really so particular to executive function skills, but I think it's, it's really fundamentally the orientation that um, will allow us to um, enjoy our lives and make the most difference in the world, which are kind of my two fundamentals, um, is, you know, pay attention to this being a process, uh, you know, and, and, and make revisions along the way. You know, I had a student who, um, uh, and I wrote about this in my, my book for parents, um, the Your Kid's Gonna Be Okay book, where he had a very small amount of homework to do over the weekend. It was literally half an hour and he didn't do it. And, and he ended up, uh, getting a zero. His parents were disappointed. Like we went through what were all the costs, you know, and, and he listed them out, you know, all the cons to doing it the, the way he did it or didn't do it. And, um, and I said, well, let me ask you, did you at least have a lovely weekend? And, you know, or, or did you think about it? He said, oh, I thought about it. I said like once or twice a little bit. He's like, yeah. no, probably like 30 times. Yeah. And I said, oh, so you had a choice to either just do a half an hour and be done with it or think about it 30 times. Let it ruin your weekend. Kind of like, (laughs) like, you know, yeah. Like in a kind of a low level way, kind of just poke at your weekend, the whole weekend. (laughs) And and that's what you want with. And he's like, yeah, probably not the best choice. I, I, I I think, you know, sometimes you got to bite the bullet a little bit, eat the frog, whatever. But, but I think that if you understand, like, there's this, there's this journey and some of it's not what I want and I can't control that. Just take that, do that little bit and, um, and then enjoy the parts that you can, you know, I, I, I think that's just, it's just a better way to be. You're just going to enjoy your life a lot more, yeah. you know, don't, ha- don't hang on and try to make it just so, and hope that you never die, you know, just enjoy the, enjoy the journey. That's what you got, you know, and, and, uh, you know, accept, accept some of the challenges we have along the way. So that, that's, that's what I got for you, Hannah. I love it. (laughs) So where can our listeners find more about you and more about what you have maybe written? You want to share a little bit about what you've written? Oh gosh. Um, well, let's see. I mean, the first thing would be the book, your kid's going to be okay. Um, that's, you know, building executive function skills and the age of attention. And I, I, I do think that that's a really good one, particularly for parents, sometimes for teachers, um, e- even adults could get something out of that just for themselves. Cause there are a lot of tools in there. There are various, uh, blogs and podcasts and things right on our website, beyondbooksmart.com, where they click on those, there's interviews, things like that. Um, if, if, you know, they want more, if they haven't had enough yet, um, uh, I'm, I, there are blog posts that I have written that are, that are there. Um, you know, that, I think that those are the places to begin, um, you know, if they're interested in working more kind of, uh, through a corporate level or, you know, that they, they can reach out through the company and we'll, we'll find a way to get in touch. 
All right. And I just I want I do want to plug your book a little bit because I I love how um you you wrote it in such a way that's so accessible and so mm. easy to read and I think so many um quote unquote self-help books out there are can tend to feel very heavy and um and maybe there's like a lot of jargon or you know this topics that feel beyond our scope of knowledge and I felt like you really made it very presentable and Thanks. accessible. Meant to be conversational but informative yeah, so yeah yeah yeah. Yeah, I love good. that. Thanks. <laughs> Appreciate it. Thank you so much, Michael. What a pleasure. <laughs> Thank you for joining me. And that's our show for today. I want to thank Michael Delman for joining me, and I hope you enjoyed his stories and wisdom and were able to find a nugget of gold in there for yourself. As Michael says, he wishes for people to be able to see their life as a journey. So thank you for taking time out of your day to listen and for including me and Focus Forward on your own journey. If you like what you're hearing, please share Focus Forward with your colleagues, your family, and your friends. We love it when our listeners help spread the word about the importance of executive function skills for finding satisfaction and happiness in life. You can subscribe to Focus Forward on Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. You can sign up for our newsletter at www.beyondbooksmart.com slash podcast. We'll let you know when new episodes drop and we'll share information related to the topic. Thanks for listening.